0: Our text tonight is the second half of the first chapter of 1 Peter. But before you read, because our first word is, therefore, the first word of our passage, you may have heard it said, whenever you see the word, therefore, you want to see what it's there for. And so if you remember, the first two verses of 1 Peter remind us that this world is not our home. But thanks be to God... The Trinitarian God, each of the three persons of the Trinity, brings us home to himself. He tells us that our pilgrimage, our journey, every step of the way, is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It's accompanied by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and it's already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have living hope, and that living hope is characterized by the sufferings of Christ and and the subsequent glories. Of Christ. And it's in light of that glorious good news, the living hope that we have, that we move to the therefore. And he tells us, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, I just want to talk for just one second about that phrase, preparing your minds for action, before we read God's word together. The ESV has done a wonderful job of translating and explaining this, this saying for us, preparing your minds for action. But the Greeks had a very interesting expression. They had a saying... And if you have an ESV, it's probably in a footnote. Or if you use the New American Standard, it's, it's right there in the translation. It says, girding up the loins of your mind. What an interesting expression. What graphic imagery. In other words, our minds need to have the clothes on that they need before you go to work. You, you would never go to work without putting your clothes on first. Right? And so he says, you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. And so we see that the Lord has... A job for us. He's going to give us a job description. And so see if we can figure out together what is this job description. That's what we're going to be reading about tonight. But before we read and attempt to preach and listen to God's word, let's go to the Lord and ask him for help. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We ask that tonight you would impress these truths upon our hearts. Lord, open our eyes to see wonderful, amazing things in your word. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts rather than harden them as we come before your word. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to act on these words. So we would not just be hearers of your word but that we would be doers of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Listen to God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. "...as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's Holy, inerrant, inspired word. May he write its truth upon our hearts this evening. Well, as we said, this text gives us a job description. And then technically in verse 13, we we get the, the the job itself, the the position in a sense. What does he say? He says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In light of this living hope that you have. Set your hope fully on the grace that will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, he gives two job descriptions. In other words, what does it look like to set my hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ? How do I go about living that out? What does it look like? That's the job description he gives us in verse 14. What does it look like? As obedient children. Doing the job that God has for you looks like being an obedient child. And he goes on to characterize this obedience both negatively and positively. He says, don't do this, but do this. In verse 14, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, the way that you used to live before you were a believer, you had certain passions, certain desires Certain cravings, even. He says, but those were according to ignorance. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have this living and abiding hope, then you're no longer ignorant. So don't want the things that ignorant people want. We see that this is saying, don't do this, not because he's trying to rob us of our joy. The Lord doesn't want to rob us of our joy. He wants to rob us of our sorrow. He doesn't want to steal our fun. He wants to steal our pain. And so he says, don't do this because this is what will hurt you. But then he also goes on in verse 15 to characterize it positively. He says, but as he who is holy, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is the positive statement of what we are to do. And if you remember, we talked about it's the Holy Spirit who makes us holy. It's the sanctified spirit who sanctifies us. It's his role of sanctification in our lives that's setting us apart. That's what the word holy means. It means being set apart. It's being set apart from the world. We live in the world, but we live in the world as elect exiles, chosen foreigners, pilgrims, right? And so he's saying we want to be out of the world. We live in the world, but not of the world. But he's not just setting us apart from something, He's setting us apart to someone, to himself. He's bringing us into sweet fellowship and communion with himself in sanctification. Be holy, he says. Now, what's the appropriate response whenever we're given a command from the Lord? Kids, when our parents tell us to do something, the appropriate response, right, is yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. But often, that's not a response. We like to say, why? I did this all the time growing up. And um, my, my, bless my parents' hearts. They had to deal with me constantly saying, why? Why do you want me to do this? And at the heart issue, what are we saying? We're saying... Well, if you give me some reasons why I should do what you're telling me to do, then I'll evaluate it, you know, I'll run it through my grid of pros and cons, and I'll see if it's going to benefit me, and I'll get back to you when I've made a decision. (laughs) Kids, it doesn't work that way, does it? What's the answer we typically, typically get to, but why? Because I said so, right? Those dreaded words. But that's actually a perfectly appropriate response for a parent to give their child. I know we don't like to hear that, kids, but the parents have been placed in authority over us by God. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. And while you live under their roof, under their authority, the way you honor them is by obeying them. And it's the same way with God, He is our Father. And when he gives us this command, don't want the things that you used to want when you were ignorant. Instead, be holy, be separate from the world, be separate from the world and be separated to me. The appropriate response is, yes, sir. But the apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. We like to say why? And the Lord in his divine forbearance and his patience with us, he actually goes on to give us an answer that we don't deserve. We don't have to have a reason, but he gives it to us graciously. He says, because, verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now our culture, we love superheroes. We're kind of obsessed with superheroes. And you may have thought of Um, what your favorite superhero is. Uh, There's a very common question that I hear these days. If you could have a superpower, what would your superpower be? Uh, We're obsessed with being like others who are greater than we are. And we love to think about being like others. But who would you rather be like besides God? That's actually what Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden, is it not? He says, Oh, you surely will not die. You see, God knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Well, what should Adam and Eve have said? What do you mean when we eat the fruit, we'll be like God? We already are like God. He's made us in our image. Satan, didn't you read Genesis 1 and 2? Apparently not. We already are like God. And so if we want to live our lives as image bearers, as appropriately bearing the image of God, if we want to be like God, then we need to be Holy. That's reason number one he gives. And what should we say? Yes, sir. You don't have to tell me twice. Thanks for giving me the reason. But again, the Lord is patient with us and he gives us yet another reason because he knows that that doesn't always do it for us, does it? Verse 17. And also, in addition to this, If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, if you realize who it is, just who it is that you're calling Father, that is, the one who is the judge of the universe, who judges impartially without showing favoritism, he does not spare us just because we were born in the great nation, or we've lived in the great nation of Texas. It's not as if we get fair treatment, uh, unfair treatment, just because we are a certain ethnicity. He says, "He who judges impartially according to each one's deeds is the one that you're calling Father." So that should give us a fearful reverence, a holy respect. He is God Almighty, and He is judge of the universe. And he judges impartially according to each one's deeds. What should our response be? Yes, sir. Yet again, though, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows our hearts. We ask why, why, why. And when we get to the end of why, when the explanations have been given, we're left with nothing else in our sinful hearts but to say, do I have to? And so what does the Lord do for us? He moves from giving us this information for our heads. He moves from giving rationale part one and part two to giving us motivation. Instead of just speaking to our heads, he speaks to our hearts. He says, let me give you some motivation, my beloved child. Know this, verse 18. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You've been ransomed. You've been ransomed with an imperishable sum. Now, if you remember, Pastor Greco actually quoted this verse Sunday morning. He said, you know, when I think of gold and silver, that's not, the first thing that comes to my mind is not that that's perishable. Right, we, we think of that as something that's actually a fairly substantial form of payment. Right, uh, we have cash, we have credit cards, we have debit cards. There's ATM cards, gift cards. There's all sorts of forms of payments, and some places accept some, and some accept others. But as Mr. Brister likes to say, cash is king. Right, there's certain places, there's certain ways that it's always accepted. Well, that's what he's. Using here, he's using gold and silver, the most substantial form of payment, and he calls it perishable. Uh, Pastor Greco and I were talking uh, Thursday night after ESL about uh, different cultures and their forms of payment, and uh, we were joking. And I, you know, I asked him, I said, "Well, how would you like it if, you know, your paycheck was in the form of chickens?" And he said wisely, "There are no chickens." <laughs> it's, that, that's not a substantial form of payment. You, you can't just give me chickens, right? But that's what he says silver and gold are here. Silver and gold, that's chickens. That, that, that's nothing. What's the substantial form of payment that you have been purchased with? The precious, spotless, lifeblood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Your, your ransom is imperishable. Do you see the worth that the Lord God has bestowed upon you? The infinite, imperishable worth that He's placed on you by purchasing you the blood of Jesus Christ. He goes on to characterize this in verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead, And gave him glory. This is what he wants. He wants your faith and hope at the end of verse 21 to be not in the perishable things like silver and gold, not in the perishable things like the empty approval and appraisal of man, not in all the things that this world has to offer. That's not where our faith and our hope are. Our faith and our hope are in God. That's job description number one. And what a beautiful motivation he gives us. He goes again to give us another job description, to spell it out for us a little more. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, he's saying the job that we have is to obey. It's obedience. Obedience to the truth. Now, this word sincere, he says for a sincere brotherly love, this is actually a Greek word that you all know. It's a hypocritical love, anti-hypocritical. He he means, you remember the hypocrites? They were the actors. They would have masks. They would put the mask up in front of their face to show joy or excitement or another one to to show being sad and and down. He's saying when you love one another, I want you to love with a sincere love. Not with a hypocritical love. And it's interesting. You know, He could have uh, characterized this obedience in a lot of different ways. He could have gone through the Ten Commandments. He could have said, you want to obey? Here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you don't have any other gods. You have no other gods before God. Right? Don't make any images of God and bow down and worship them. And keep the Lord's name holy. Honor it. Revere it. Respect it. Don't use it lightly. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy and honor your parents. Don't harbor hatred in your heart. Don't lust after others. Love in the appropriate way that God has given you. Don't steal things. Work hard for what you earn and give freely. And don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal and be content with what you have. He could have gone on to say all that but he makes it very simple for us. Just as Jesus did when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they try to trick Jesus. You know, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of all? You know, they're thinking he's going to pick from one of their phony 600 laws, I suppose. And he responds quite simply, love and um, love. Can I make it more simple for you? Love, love God, love your fellow neighbors. And I think this church does an especially great job of this. I really do. When we have visitors come, they feel loved, they feel welcomed. I know my wife and I, when we first visited here, we felt so welcomed and loved. And I think it's not a hypocritical love either. That's why we feel so welcomed, right? We can see through each other's masks most of the time. So I think here we have an encouragement. We are loving one another. We're loving one another well. We're doing it without hypocrisy. Let's do it even more. Let's seek to eliminate any hypocrisy. Let's seek to eliminate any phony types of love. And let's work hard at loving one another. And what that does is, if you see the very beginning and end of verse 22, it's framed by a purification. When we love one another without hypocrisy, it purifies our souls. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You want a pure soul, a pure heart. You want to be clean. This is where it comes from, from love that is sincere and earnest. He goes on then in verse 23, not to give us more reasons, but here he skips straight to the motivation. He goes straight to the heart the second time in the second job description. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So not only do you have an imperishable ransom. Not only were you purchased with an imperishable redemption, but you have an imperishable regeneration. An imperishable regeneration. You have been given new life if you trust and have faith in God. And that new life that's been given to us, the seed that was planted, was imperishable. You see the contrast that he sets up in verse 24 by quoting from Isaiah 40. He says, okay, all flesh is like grass. And all of its glory, it's like a flower in a meadow. The grass sprouts up really quickly. And, and flowers, they sprout up and they're beautiful and they're glorious. And just as quickly as, they're, as they sprout up, they fade away. That's what we're like. That's what our flesh is like. We're perishable by nature. As we heard this morning, by nature we have nothing But because of the glorious good news of God's grace, he has bestowed us with worth by giving us, by by purchasing us with this imperishable ransom. But even more than that, he has made us born again of imperishable seed. So it's not just the worth that was placed on us, but it's now who we are. The Holy Spirit has taken out our cold, dead, dirty hearts of stone and replaced it with a live, living, beating, clean heart of flesh. And that's this word, this good news that was preached to you. I hope you, you see that I, I, I've been blessed to be under a lot of good preaching. I'm uh, enjoying some preaching classes at RTS now. And I'm listening to a lot of preachers and reading a lot of preaching books. And I'm realizing more and more just how faithful and just how great the preaching we have at Christ Church is. We need to be thankful for our two pastors who preach the word faithfully, in season and out of season. Now, doesn't this just sound like a... Isn't that legalism, though? Isn't this just another moralism-type sermon? We have to make sure we have the horse before the cart. Do you see that the motivation for our obedience flows from our ransom that is imperishable? The obedience that God is calling us to flows from our regeneration. When did God give the Ten Commandments to the Israelites? After they had been delivered from their bondage, from the slavery in Egypt. He then gives us, he saves them, he saves us, and then he says, now go walk in obedience. I think we could summarize it with three words, trust and obey. And in the wise words of Mrs. Hare, you can't put obedience on par with trust. We have to make sure that it's trust first, and then it's obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he does richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown, nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who trust and obey. Then, in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way, what he says we will do, and where he sins, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us do that this week. Father in heaven, we are needy sinners. and We thank you for this word, though, Lord, that we can trust you because of the imperishable redemption by the spotless blood of of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And we thank you for our imperishable regeneration. You have given us new life. And Lord, remind us of that throughout this week so that we will be motivated to love you and to respond to you with trust and obedience. Father, we know we cannot do this on our own. We cannot merit our salvation. But help us to remember that you don't want to steal our fun You don't want to rob us of our joy. You want to rob us of our sorrow. You want to steal away the things that hurt us. Lord, help us to trust you and to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.